So these episodes made me do something that I don't normally do. Go swimming? Uh, I actually don't know how to swim, but um, I've become a shipper. I am hardcore shipping Dax and Worf. I want them to get together and fall in love. Okay. I really like them as a couple, (laughs) Um, and I think they're cute. Um, they are cute together. I think that uh, Dax and Worf are an interesting pairing. Yeah. I think that the, the, the show is doing something interesting with them. And it's the kind of – yeah, it's the kind of thing where – I mean to Worf it makes a lot of sense given that – you know, especially given you know Dax has a lot of ties to the Klingon Empire uh, and especially some older ones, uh, yeah. which for Worf I think is a particularly interesting thing because she's in a way a living connection to that history and she has somebody who has lived among the Klingons, you know, understands what – you know. I don't know. They have a nice chemistry together, and this is as much the actor. I don't know if that's where the show is going to having them, mm-hmm. you know, or not. But I mean, at the end of uh, Bar Association, she makes him a Klingon opera mixtape. Like that. That that's you know. I thought that was adorable. I think it's interesting because it it really speaks to I think how Deep Space Nine is handling romantic relationships. Yeah. If you think back to how TNG would handle them, or for that matter, you know, the original series. Mm. They were really self-contained within episodes. They had a particular point, a particular story they wanted to tell. Yeah. And, you know, characters within the show, main cast members, didn't really get on with each other. No. Uh, TNG, we had, you know, there, there was a bit of the, you know, Picard and Crusher, certainly. Um, and then they had that one episode where they were psychically linked, where they, you know, really dealt with it. But other than, you know, and in the fun. But that was never a major point of either of their characters. Um, you had a bit of Riker and Troy, but that had been in the past and maybe every so often. But yeah, it seems almost, again, if it turns out that they are do end up together, it feels like that's where they're going with it. Like this is, you know, them beginning to see that storyline. Well, I think it's, it, you know, it's it's instructive because it kind of ties into how the show has dealt with Kira's relationships as mm. well. I think yeah. how the show has sort of dealt with... Cisco's relationships, um, Bashir not really. Although we find out in the next episode that uh, Bashir and Lita are dating. And wasn't so, that implied in the 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 one episode where we first met her? That I think so, but I don't remember for sure. She was at least very friendly with Bashir. And anyway. so you know, the show introduces these characters, and they're not there specifically to tell a romantic plot, like they are in yes. TNG. They're there just kind of the relationships are allowed to sort of grow and evolve a little bit more dynamically, a little bit more organically on this show. But it, it does feel like the kind of thing, though. Again, it makes complete sense. You know, Dax is the kind of person who would want to welcome you know the senior officer and a, a new officer, and um, you know, the two of them, as I said, have a good chemistry together and that would develop would bloom out of that i, I think well, I, again you know where without it without know. giving too much away i think that their chemistry is about as good as it ever gets okay which is i, I will have many thoughts on Worf and dax's chemistry in the future perhaps that's a little okay. bit of a spoiler but huh. for the most part this is fine. Okay. Again. I think that they're cute together. I think it gives Worf something else to do they're, they're, that is not glowering or talking yeah. about how much he hates Deep Space Nine or what, whatever he's doing. And and it also allows Dax, I think, to 
Unfortunately or not, Dax is a character that so far in this season has sort of been sidelined. I mean, she yeah. hasn't really had her own own episode. A lot of that could just be because again, they you know, now that again, you said the first few episodes they weren't sure if they were getting Michael Dorn in, but now that they know that they have No, more, no, 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 no. They knew that before the season started. Oh, oh. That was the whole point of Way of the Warrior, which is the fourth season premiere. No, I'm I'm sorry, but you um Anyway, they're really making a lot of use of him. When they were breaking the stories for the fourth season, that's, I guess, they didn't maybe know what? if they were having okay. Michael Dorn join the cast or not. Okay. Yeah. Well, at this point, we are de- definitely dealing with stories focusing on him and, and that are very – again, he's not just in there and just sometimes mentioned. You know, they have done a very good job towards making him a, a main cast member. And I, I guess – Let's maybe go into Sons of Moog for good now because um, to a very real degree – and I ended up watching the TNG episode Sins of the Father because this episode reminded me a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And frankly, watching that episode – now Ron Moore wrote both episodes. I would be very surprised if he didn't go back to that own script because a lot of circles close in Sons of Moog that are opened kind of in Sins of the Father and – and I would just like to take this opportunity to point out that, yes, Richard did just say he went back to watch a previous episode of Star Trek as research. It's going to gonna let that sit there. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, frankly, that actually, watching Sins of the Father, where Kern is in his prime and a competent uh, Klingon officer, you know, who's it's real. It makes Sons of Moog even sadder when he see him when we see him as a broken drunk. This well, and is a I think heartbreaking episode. I, and I think it's uh, it's a good episode. And I think you know let's let's get that lead out. Let's not bury the lead there. I, I think that um, it is instructive. I think Kern is kind of standing in for where the Klingons kind of are yeah. at this point. I also think that it's. It's a DS9 version of a Klingon story. Yes. Which is what I appreciate about it. And I think that one of the things about about Sons of Moog that I find, you know, so so moving is the fact that Worf is able, I think for the first time perhaps to fully commit mm. to a, a Klingon ritual and have it fail miserably. And I think that that's really important because I think that for Worf, we've talked a lot about, I mean, we talked a lot about Worf and TNG and how he's sort of a born again Klingon. Yes. And in this episode, I think, you know, maybe he's starting to see the the limitations of that. You know, I, there's that one the, scene when, uh, sorry. Well, the, the Moktavar ritual is, you know, obviously from a human point of view, it's kind of barbaric and kind of ridiculous that someone would want to be killed just because they don't have honor, right? But but from a Klingon point of view, it's very honorable. It's a very good way to go out. It, it retains your your dignity. It's not and, that. I mean, you, if you read about samurais and seppuku, it's not. It's it's a cousin to that kind of a uh, right. And and so, but Worf actually, you know, for for perhaps the first time, I mean, you know, putting aside the whole pain stick, you know, Age of Ascension thing from back from the second season of TNG, you know, this is really the the, the first time that Worf has made a conscious decision. I think to. Uh, uh, you know, aside from maybe redemption a little bit, well, but he's made a conscious decision to really just follow through with the Klingon ritual, and it, in fact, 
doesn't solve the problem and makes it worse. Uh, quick, quick question: Is the episode where Worf breaks his spine and he's asking Riker and you know ultimately Alexander? To, is that this? I don't know. I don't remember. I don't think so. Okay. I think, you know, the one I, uh, thing you can say about I, I the would, Klingons is that they probably have a lot of traditions of ritual suicide. Yes, yes, which is fair. It, uh, either way, it's. I, I will say, even though, even if this is the first time, this does seem like a very Klingon tradition kind of thing. Like, it's it's completely makes sense. You know, when, even if this is Kern introducing this concept to us, you know. And one of the little points that I like about that you you wouldn't even really notice watching mm-hmm. the episode is is uh, uh, in the kind of background information for the episode that the the person who designed the the blade that was used in the ritual yeah. actually made it have two points. So the one blade would be sort of the idea was it was ending your physical life, and the second point was like sort of releasing your spirit. Oh. You know, so there are little things like that that kind of attention to detail I really like about it. Yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, frankly, I think that it's it's a very very good choice on. Uh, Ron Moore's part and he kind of talked about this a little bit where originally this was much more of a TNG style plot where the entire you know dramatic impact of the episode was surrounding the idea of whether or not Worf was going to do this I was shocked when he went through with it yeah Yeah. and that's that's exactly when the that's one of the reasons why it is such a Deep Space Nine version of a Klingon episode it it makes this hard left turn about 10 minutes in Mm. And then suddenly you get to see the aftermath of what happens when, I don't know, does does Cisco, are, are, I don't know, I, I kind of have different, it's, it's, like are Cisco's, are Cisco's uh, kind of, I mean obviously Cisco is a very different character than Picard, and yes. I think that Picard would have found a way to. Especially consider, again, Sins of the pa- Father is the one where Picard offers to become the Chadich, and yeah. he, he insists on going to the trial with Worf, so, you know, again. Picard is backing Klingon traditions to the degree where he's participating in them. Cisco just sort of tolerates them, and when they're causing trouble, is a problem. Well, and I think also it kind of speaks to the difference of of, of the Enterprise and Deep Space Nine as well, because you know, like again, you know, we, I mentioned Bar Association before with Lita and Bashir, and I think that again, you see that um, picked up in this episode where Worf is uncomfortable and he goes mm-hmm. off and, and lives on the Defiant. Yeah. And I think that's really instructive because there's this whole idea about the fact that Deep Space Nine is an open port. It's it's much less controllable. People can hide much yeah. more easily. This is the and one I where – is this the episode where someone steals from – Yeah. yeah. Bar, bar Association. Yeah. That. And so what I what I think is really interesting about that is the ways in which the, the location and the characters mm-hmm. are sort of informing each other because Picard would have known that – Kern was on the station or on the ship. Yeah, Kern, he he would have been involved. Picard would in have this. greeted him, right? <laughs> and and Cisco has no idea. He, Cisco probably didn't even know that this happened until after the fact. You I know, mean, Cisco has yeah. so much going on. Deep Space Nine is is much more of a loose place, so much bigger. There's so many more people coming and going that the the stories are kind of going off in different directions and Cisco will make a token appearance in an episode to yell at yeah. people because he doesn't know what's going on but and and he also doesn't have again as much of an emotional intimate connection by the point of sins of the father you know Picard and you know Worf very much respects Picard Worf would never ask Cisco Cisco to become his Jadich, you know obviously no. uh he and Cisco probably wouldn't volunteer to do that. That's it, – it, Picard even – it's funny. Even though we, we said Picard was a bit more distant and Cisco is becoming closer to the people he's with, he just hasn't had that time with Worf. War, it, it, it's interesting how they have very much – 
I Worf, don't know if he likes Worf. Worf is very integrated into the show, but he's not integrated completely into Deep Space Nine, which is a very interesting – like his out-of-placeness is fully within the themes of the show. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I don't I don't know that Cisco likes Worf. Yeah. You know, I, I get well, the Well, he's done nothing to make him This like is him. what, the second or third time that he's gone off and, mm-hmm. and done something that Cisco doesn't approve of and didn't ask for permission beforehand? And let me, let me, let me ask you this – my question is why he thought to do it on the station. I mean, this is what, – what did he think would happen to the body afterwards? I don't know why he didn't just go somewhere. Maybe he was going to eat it. I don't know. Yeah. It, it, it seems like the kind of – Worf's going to take a week of shore leave, go out with his brother, and then just come back alone. And that would make a lot more sense. Why would he do this in his place of work? But Well, then you wouldn't have an episode. Of course. And – but not, you know, not only that, of course, the ending is where – Again, well, I think I think well, you know it's not just that there would no be, be no episode, but I also think it does tie back yeah. to the relationship that Worf had with Captain Picard because course, I think that course. Picard would not have been happy about this. But I think Worf is operating under the assumption that Cisco is going to understand this in the same way that yeah. Picard did, and so and, and I think Worf, it's also... it probably doesn't occur to Worf to. To, to to hide it or to go away because he thinks everything's going to be fine. Well, think about this. Again, in the case of O'Brien, O'Brien, you know, understands, knows who Worf is, knows that this – understands it in the proper context of who Worf is. Dax understands this ritual in the proper context of Klingon traditions. Cisco, even – Picard would understand both of those things. Cisco doesn't understand either. He doesn't have the personal or the cultural understanding. And so one of his officers attempted to murder his brother in his cabin. That's what he has on his desk. It doesn't really matter to him what his reasons were. That's what happened. Yeah, yeah. And I, I can it, see okay, Cisco's point. For that Exactly. The, that's And that's, I think, one of the things that the show does very well. It really does make both points very clear. We we know why Worf did what he did. But well, and that's one of the things that I don't think Star Trek has ever really talked about. Yeah. Is, is one of the things that's really important to to the ideas you know contained in Star Trek is the idea of tolerance. And yeah, Star Trek you know hasn't ever really talked about the limits of tolerance. It, and a I think, little bit dealing with uh, again in the series it has yes. Uh, with with the bits with Quark, you know, you only you Federations only like the you know the nights parts. You know, when 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 we do when there's something that you think is distasteful, it, this is something that Cisco thinks is distasteful, and yet within Klingon tradition, it makes complete sense. But I think it's it's instructive to to think about the ways in which Deep Space Nine is starting to 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 redefine that or chafe against yeah. the limitations of that, because yes. this is a show that is obviously going in a different direction than the next generation or the original series or the movies where there are limits to what the Federation is going to put up with, or there are limits to what Starfleet is going to put up with. And yes, you can have tolerance, you can do whatever, and we respect all your beliefs and your traditions. But at the end of the day, we're not going to let you in in, sex enslave women. We're not going to let you kill people just because you think it's your right to kill people. And frankly, we're not going to tell you, you can't do it. You know, (laughs) off the station or off Federation property, but that you're in our house. You're you're not not on a Klingon ship, right? (laughs) In and and in general, I like that this episode goes into such a tragic note. There, you can see the TNG version of this episode in which 
you know, Worf helps Kern, and he begins working for the the whole. Oh, the uniform fits tight, but I'll get used to it. You could see a version where, which Kern, incidentally, I don't think it's a bad idea to have security officers wearing uncomfortable clothing. <laughs> Just so they never feel comfortable. Uh, at the same time, it's also a bad idea to have security officers in clothing where they can't be active. Well, it's not that it can't be active. It just yeah. finds it uncomfortable. Maybe, either either maybe way. Maybe it's itchy or something. Uh, the, there's the obvious symbolism of I find being in a Bajoran security uniform as opposed yeah, – obviously. Um, but you can see a version in which he eventually does start to nurse his alcoholic brother to health. And by the way, this is making it click how many alcoholic Klingons we've seen. We've seen a lot of old Klingons who are just drunks. There have been several scenes in which, you know, one's drunk, drank too much and caused a seed or there's been problems. And, ooh, yeah. It, it, this, well, it kind of goes with it the, make, you know, TOS idea of Klingons as, as Russians, well, well, But honestly, to a degree— men, men drinking themselves to death in Russia is a real problem. Uh, p- honestly, p- p- how, how many veterans— uh, where I work, there are a ton of alcoholic veterans who just kind of coagulate. We, America treats its veterans terribly. That that this story almost this story had a lot of resonances. For Worf's brother comes back from the army with PTSD, and he's go you know he's doesn't know what to do with himself, yeah. and he can't readjust to normal life. And Worf watching this. Um, well, and also frankly, I think Worf is insulated from from what's going on. Oh yeah, playing on Empire. I mean, he doesn't really know what Gowron is doing. He doesn't really know what the Klingons are doing or what they're planning. He doesn't know that his own family has been disbanded and their hands, you know, seized. You would think that he would know that. And also, you know, at the end of the episode when he says, oh, I don't have any family. Yeah. I mean, yes, on the one hand, he's it's a deliberate divorcing his mind from his brother. But on the other hand, he does have family. Oh, mama and not... Well, he has a son, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just another evidence of like his... Worf is a shitty father, but but yeah, it's it's yeah, and I think that that Kern is interesting because this is a character we haven't seen much before. Obviously, I mean, we saw him, I think, what two or three times before this. He was in Sins of the Father, and I think yeah. he was in Redemption, and, and I think that's ever. I think that's all we've seen him. Yeah, in. because I mean, it's very clear that Worf is, Worf is a shitty brother too. After the. Yeah, once you get the sense that once, you know, he, he so he accepts discommendation at the end of Sins of the Father. He eventually gets reinstated and you get the sense that, OK, that adventure over, Kern isn't really in his life and he almost forgets that he exists. That's the thing. Worf seems to forget everything that's not in front of him. Yes. No, I would agree with that. And I think that this episode goes a long way towards showing us that. The dark side of that, yeah, and also, and also, really, kind of, I think, in a certain sense, not necessarily making that explicit, but it is putting it out there more than I think TNG ever did. You know, the the subtext for Worf kind of yeah. being a shitty, self absorbed person was always there, and I think that so far the show, and again, I think Bar Association makes that very clear. But you know, it, it, you know, literally, he is you know explicitly going to live on the defiant by himself yeah and and one of the selling points that that dax tries to to get him uh on at the end of the episode is that he can blast his klingon opera as loud as he wants and not bother anyone i i think that to a certain degree Worf is not a very good person yeah and he he's and he uses his Klingonness as a shield for that and yeah. as, as justification for being a bad well, person. Compare this to because he and Odo have started to become friendly, and again, they do have a lot in common. 
because I was about to say, what, what if Worf is just a kind of person who wants to be left alone? But Odo is a person who generally likes being by himself. He likes doing his thing. He likes his stuff in the – we would never say that he is a cold person. We would never say he's a bad person. We would never say – And in fact, like last week, we had an entire yes. episode about Odo coming to the realization that he's in love with someone. Yeah. Odo has – you know – Odo is a person who will connect to other people when he needs to. Maybe it takes a lot to become one of those people that Odo cares about, but he does let people into that circle, and he's never going to forget about them. Again, Odo telling Kira at the end, well, we can't be friends anymore. Yeah, I'd like to see how well they've done it. Yeah, they've done it for two episodes. I doubt he's going to you know, do it next. I, I yeah. think next week we're going to have some Kira-Odo scenes, I'm fairly sure. Um so what what do you make of the end of the episode though? Well, because that was much more interesting in the in the context of Sins of the Father because it reminded me of what Kern's backstory was. Okay. So there was this attack on Kittimer. So you have Worf and his parents going down to Kittimer uh and Kern says he was a baby at the time. He was too young. It was just supposed to be, you know, a very short trip. So he stayed with a friend of the father's. Now Moog and uh his wife are killed. Lady Moog. Le- Moog and Moga are killed. Uh, it's a little too much like Moogie. But anyway. <laughs> uh, Worf ends up with uh, – what's this? The Roshenkos. The Roshenkos. Uh, in a way to protect uh, Kern, he's not – this friend essentially adopts him, doesn't tell him who his father is. And he says, I wasn't told until my own ascension. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then that's what he finds out. Essentially, the ending restores him to the state before he knew who Mog even was. It's I, I actually looked up to see who it's a different it, it's a different man who adopts him, but it's the same situation. Somebody who is childless, who is just going to, you know, he's essentially restoring him to his ignorance. Yeah. Before all of this Moog stuff ruined uh, Kern's life, frankly, and so. It's a sad thing. It's maybe not the rightest thing, but it is the closest they have to restoration. They don't, we don't really say what this guy who adopts him at the end is, but you get the sense he's like probably just has a tiny farm. I mean, right. You know, Mo, uh, uh, Kern is going to become a little farmer and have his own family, and he's not. He's going to have a little life, but at least he can have a chance of some kind of peace. Yeah, but it, I mean, in a certain sense, you could say the ending is cynical because, of course, yes. you know, one of the things that TNG was very not is not cynical, and I think that TNG would have yeah. found a way to end the episode with Kern still being Kern. This episode, but this show is saying Kern that's is not always to... possible. Kern is just kind of a broken person, and he can never be healed. You now, can say, I mean, the and the episode, I, I, I mean, that is the thing, you know. There and there are. Plenty of pe- – again, he, this is his alcoholic brother with PTSD. He is on a self-destructive course and – But I also I also wonder though – you yeah. know, there's this, there's this criticism of the end of the episode where they say basically, well, Bashir would never do this. You know, this is kind of against Bashir's mission as a doctor. Uh, and I know there was no scene to this effect, but it seems to me that they would have gotten Kern's – consent for this i i don't i don't think that the, i don't think i mean i'm always under the assumption that this is something that they asked kern if he wanted I, to happen okay see because i got the the implication that i have is when he's pat you know when he's drinking and he passes out and uh you know Worf has that line like oh you will find honor you will get your honor back but not in this life and then you know, they see, then he's waking up. So I actually got the sense that they didn't get his. No, I got the sense that they get his, his 
I don't think that there's any way that you can square the circle of Bashir doing this with to, and that's to someone fair. without consent. I that's that's a line too far, I think, even for Deep Space Nine, and I just don't see the show doing that's that. Fair. I don't think they had that scene because, frankly, what would it add? No, and I, hey, hey, Kern, I have a solution. We're going to wipe your memory. Cool. Okay. There's that. No, yeah. That would have gone nowhere. So I mean, there's nothing in the episode that contradicts that from the. Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess it doesn't really matter to the episode either way if it. I don't feel the episode needs it, but if you feel it does, you know. Well, it's not that it needs it. I just think or it, it, it. Yeah, I, I no, I get, I get where you're going with that. That is true. Um, I guess the other thing to talk about before we move on to bar association, though, is this idea of, and again, I think this is really instructive of the ways in which Deep Space Nine is able to tie in the meta plot in these individual episodes. Yeah, this idea of Kieran O'Brien coming back from expo- from from checking yeah. on the Bajoran colonies. Oh yeah, and, and I think they, they would make great like shuttlecraft, you know, because you know we we've seen both I of just, them in like runabouts where they're like dealing with somebody who's talking too much. And- I, I just like O'Brien because you know. <laughs> She's like, how long was I sleeping? It's like, oh, seven hours. Fine. I don't care. Whatever. I'm just thinking about potatoes. That's it. Yeah. Uh, she, she needs the sleep because, you know, one thing we know about Kira is she does not get much sleep. And O'Brien is just happy to just not have to talk. And so one of the things that I really like about it is, yes, it's an interesting development in the Klingon war. You know, the, we, we yeah. do find out in this episode that the Klingons and the Federation are not technically at war with each other. But they are mining a star system that is right outside of, of Bajoran space. That's or in Bajoran space, I guess. That's not a great act of, of no. someone. And so what you see in this episode is yes, that ties in nicely and kind of develops that a little bit further and kind of raises the stakes where we now know that the Klingons are doing stuff that is directly, uh, you know, challenging or threatening yeah. the Federation and, and, and Bajor. And get, but, again, in a sense of how the mighty have fallen, Sins of the Father is kicked off by an exchange program where, you know, Kern is on the Enterprise in the first place because of, you know, an agreement of fellowship between the, the Federation and right. the Klingons. So, and this episode is, is it that, that alliance crumbling? There's a point even when the head of the High Council hangs the alliance as a threat, like, oh, this, you know, if you don't do what I say, this alliance could be a problem. Now we're actually seeing that in play and we you know uh, yeah. uh little spoiler alert in about a week we're going to be releasing a patron special about the klingons and so i think we'll probably talk a lot more about this stuff okay then. uh patreon.com slash track about show but you know the other thing about this too is that it gives Kara an opportunity to be a badass it gets it gives Kara an opportunity oh, yeah. to do what she's really good at doing and it also i think ties in nicely to what's going on with kern and Worf because I think that really the turning point for Worf in making this decision, and I think the turning point for Kern too, and, and eventually what happens to him with getting his mind, you know, his memories erased and this new identity adopted, is that Worf realizes that the Klingons aren't, you know, and this is something he is. I, I think yeah. that one thing you can say for Worf is that he never has to be. Um, what, what, learning a lesson once yes. for Worf is not enough. He has to be told this over and over <laughs> again, and he constantly has to be told in many different episodes with many different things happening that the Klingons are not who they th- who who he thinks they are, yeah. and they're never going to be the people that he thinks they are. And so, yes, now they're mining a star system, and he thinks that's a bad thing, and that kind of ties into the whole. You know, I mean, but- I don't know where he's going to go, but it seems like this is one of the episodes where, if not the full lesson, it's starting to finally sink in because C- there is that one conversation when. I think it's Dax, you know, says, oh, it sounds like you're going through with the ritual again. He says, I can't, you know. First time I did it, I was in full faith. And by the way, he, you know, given that he doesn't kill Kern, I mean, one wonders if he pulled his punch a little bit, honestly. 
I don't know if that's what's implied or not, but I don't think so. Either, I, think, I, I think it's just that Dax got there yes. just in time. Either way, it, he does say like I don't have the faith in it that I used to, and in this point, he's finally realizing he can't do things the Klingon way. He's got to make a decision, and although still living on the Defiant and blasting Klingon operas is is the most. Uh, half-assed and uh, well that happens next episode so maybe oh. we should just talk about that then let's talk about that the it's funny that how even though these are wildly different plots there are so many weird connections between them well and i think it's you know i think it just has to do with the yes. fact that they are bringing up Worf a lot right now because he's a new character yeah. on the show they want to establish an identity for Worf on deep space nine but i also think it does really tie into the fact that deep space nine is just a much better a show at yeah it's interconnected and it's it's much it's a much better show at kind of developing a character over a, a yeah. period of time over many different episodes Worf is kind of a b character in bar association but he given that you know it, it, it's following up on some stuff from the last episode where he was the main so yes yeah I love this episode. I, I think that which bar association? Oh, it was I, great. I, I think it's it's great because while it is played for laughs, while it is a comedy, and I don't think that there's any real way that you can ever totally get past the Ferengi as comic relief just because they look ridiculous. Well, the show is slowly making them more of an honest species i think it's 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 redeveloping them to be more quote-unquote realistic and i think it does take them seriously well i would say look we said i think the other week like uh, i i think you don't like uh ferengi episodes with uh the grand nagus in them and liquidator brunt is probably maybe one of the first really effective and kind of scary ferengi villains because again a lot of things you can tell that uh Wallashad is not comfortable in the makeup, and he's not handing yeah. it up as much as he could. This guy is a fucking ham. He's great at it. He's funny. Yeah, I'm the guy he, he's horrible. Yeah, he went some Latinum. <laughs> but Liquidator Brunt is horrible and hilarious and perverted and sadistic. And I mean, I love that scene when he's toying with Quark, and he's like, "Well, we we're not going to do your brother, you know? Okay." And, like, he's like, it needs to be someone you can't expect. And he's, you know, just, like, it's like a cat playing with a thing. And, again, it's, they realized a long time ago they can't make Ferengi effective physical villains. TNG proved that between, you know, the hissing lightning whip things and even with Damon Bach. They're not effective. The way well, that, very literally in this episode, because I think it's not incidental that Brunt has, you know, giant Nausicans next well, to him instead of a couple of, a couple uh, of Ferengi. That's how a Ferengi can be an effective scary villain, because he can hire really scary people, and he has no conscience, and he's sadistic, and he will have them do whatever. They break Quark. They beat up Quark and break his eye socket. Like, they really— A couple of his ribs. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So that's—I mean, they finally figured out, how do we make an effective Ferengi villain— have him be a scary boss, and they can do it. Well, and also, yeah, I think that's true. And I also think the the, the other thing to say about that is there's nothing that is con- a contradictory to the way that Brunt is effectively scary. You oh, know, I yeah. I think that that's one of the things that we really – I think time and time again what you see in Star Trek is when someone of an alien species is really – true to the the culture and society that they've come from that's when they know that they yeah that's how they know to be a scarier effective villain. oh yeah he's completely bought you know we've 
Quark and even Rom are finding some of the limits of Ferengi-style capitalism, but Liquidator Brunt fucking loves it. He's reveling in it. He is wallowing like a pig in shit, quite literally. And why wouldn't he? Because Liquidator Brunt is, is using the power of law and the power of the state to essentially extort as many Ferengi mm-hmm, as he can. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked – yeah, sadistic is, I think, the right word. You know, you said that. You think that uh, 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 um, Gold Ducati is, you know, sociopathic. Well, Liquidator Brunt is not sociopathic. He enjoys the pain that other people are feeling. Well, and I also think that it's, you know, uh, Liquidator Brunt's a minor character in this yeah. episode, so maybe we shouldn't, you know, talk well, about him too much. But, I but think he, that, he does have a hell of a presence, I guess, which is why we're talking about him so much. True. But I, I think that and yeah. it's related to the, the, the content of this episode because I think the one thing about Liquidator Brunt that you really see is that he is a product of his own environment. Yes. He's a product of his oh, own yeah. culture, and he really buys into it. I think that there's that there's that key line in the episode where I think – I forget who says it, but but it may be Quark. It might be Rom. I think it's Quark. I don't know. Uh, where they say, look, well, Ferengi don't want to stop the exploitation. They want to become the exploiters. Yeah. And yes, on the one hand, that's a very sort of – meta funny commentary on the idea that the reason why Americans you know support lower taxes on the rich and all these kind of things is not because they they don't want to stop rich people from becoming rich because they think they're going to be rich. what was that that Americans are people who think they're not millionaires yet but I think that you know you really see the 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 influence of Federation of Bajoran Society on Rom specifically. Mm. I mean, this is a, this well, is a Rom episode. You've this been, is a great Rom episode. You've been saying it. Oh, I really like Rom. You know, just stay tuned. This was the all right. Now I know this is. You know, the, we're we're starting to see Rom's more final form. I assume. Yes. In this episode, and again, this is taking the what's once he made that stand and you know said no, Nog is allowed to go to the you know Starfleet Academy if he wants. Again, Nog has you know, Rom has started to kind of assert himself. He asserts himself in the episode with Moogie, and he's definitely, here he finally comes into his own to the degree where he, it's interesting because this episode, we see Quark through his brother's eyes in a way that we never have. We've seen Quark in an, through an eyes of the main character's cast or through his own. Here he is an out-and-out asshole for most of it, and even worse than Quark normally is. Uh, you know, he did, for the begin until he gets beaten up, he doesn't even seem to pretend to have a conscience about what's going on. And that's very deliberate. That's you know, it makes Nog's decisions a little more, you know, Rom. You mean? It, it's, yes, it makes Rom's decisions a little more sensical. But we also get more of an idea of what like life has really been like for Rom. Well, yeah, and I think that you know w- w- what that really makes me me think is that Deep Space Nine is the first Star Trek show to to really establish familial relationships and very yes. specific ones that are true to the characters and say something about the characters and also get developed and changed over time because not only do we have Quark and Rom and Nog as a as a family unit, but we also have, you know, Jake and Ben as a family unit, and that's a very specific type of and of even their grand, his grand, the grandfather in sure. But if you think back to TNG, for example, 
the only familial re- relationship really in that show that was fo- that was featured on a, on an ongoing basis, you know, was was Wesley and and Beverly, and you know, a bit yes, and there of, was Troy and and the the Troys a little bit, and then we that, had that one episode with uh, Picard and his family, and then but, but on, you know, but it, an, on an ongoing basis, it's and, more and what, like Alexander, which who doesn't well, exist that too, between yeah. episode to episode. That's more of the way they handled it, but it's more like you know the 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 generic relationship between Beverly and Wesley was very generic mm. it was very much like hey we both love each other yeah like we're mother and son like that was basically it whereas this show is much more interested in developing those relationships over time and not forgetting that these characters exist when the when the yeah. the, the actor is not there yeah, yeah, yeah i'm really curious to see where noggin uh, where rom ends up and i'm very happy about that but uh stay tuned on that i mean i have some logistical questions to this in the sense that See, okay, they're all upset that Quark is cutting their wages. Yeah. Uh, and then later, you know, Cisco mentions, oh, well, I'm letting you run this – your bar rent-free. I mean, the Quark's is allowed to exist under the sufferance of the Federation right now. Uh, so – and anytime anybody has moved into Deep Space Nine, it just seems like a matter of paperwork to get them quarters. I mean – and that lead is talking about, oh, I can't, you know, make with that little money. Is she paying rent? Or are they, are all they upset? Are they sending money back home is maybe is what they're, I don't know. The implication I no is, idea. I guess my question here's, is, here's yeah. the, uh, I know exactly where we're going with this. Yes. Just don't think about that, it. That's, I, I recognize this is one of those, I'm not, I can't think about Star Trek's economy in this episode because it's going to make it fall apart, you know. Obviously, the- I mean, assumedly, you can you could make you know arguments. Okay, yeah, Lita and the Frankie need money because they're sending money back home. They're they're, they're from economies that actually yeah. still have a money a monetary system, whereas the Federation does not. Yeah, you know, maybe they're not paying rent, but. You know, Ma needs her medicine. Yeah, yeah. It could be something like that. I mean, it could also be that the Federation is is allowed to administer the promenade on a basis of of not paying rent and not paying any sort of overhead to to the Federation. Whereas they because they the, the Bajorans get so much else from the Federation in in return. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas the quarters have to be you know paid for for some reason. Maybe. I mean, there could be a lot of different reasons yeah. for it. But yeah, I think that you know, and that, but I think it's really instructive to to mention that though, because it does make Quark's decision to cut their wages and sort of spur on this this strike and the whole union business is that what costs does Quark have of running this business? I know he just wants he his numbers to go up, right? He doesn't pay rent, he doesn't pay for his electricity, he doesn't pay for any of the uh, 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 costs associated with running the business in terms of the actual space he's running it in. All of the maintenance that you know, Cisco makes yeah. a point of saying all of the maintenance is given to them, given to him for free. He's really just paying for you know, most of his stuff is replicated, so he's really just paying for. Goods that need to be what? What is that sauce that they're always yamak sauce or whatever? Right, right. He's paying for yamak sauce and like real alcohol, and you know, and that's pretty much it. And so it really does make you wonder that that I mean, in a certain sense, Quark is the the perfect example of a rentier capitalist. Mm. You know, he's just he's sitting there and 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 taking in money on the basis of things that happened you know years and years ago, and that is you know essentially what he's doing. That's also essentially, I think, why Rom gets so upset with him because yeah. he knows exactly the cost of running the business. And, you know, frankly, I think that that this is the show 
the second time or maybe the third time that they're showing that there are some actual divisions in Ferengi society, mm. you know, the first one, of course, last season with with uh, uh, their mother earning profit and that sort of gets resolved, but kind of not at the same time. This is obviously the same thing where the crisis is resolved. The, the immediate problem is resolved, but. I doesn't sound to me as though it's going to stop here. And frankly, both episodes are resolved with fake ledgers. I mean, Moogie very explicitly says she's not going to stop. She's going to kind of cool it for a little bit. And then once the attention is off, she's going to start cooking the books again and, you know, earning her own profit. Maybe not on so large a scale, but, you know, keep doing it because she enjoys doing this. At the end of this the same exact thing happened. Quark says, you know, give a couple months to let everything cool down, but, you know, I'll make a fake ledger and give everybody their real, you know, prizes. So, number one, obviously an investigator can go... There's almost a degree to which the Ferengi government is okay. I mean, obviously the Ferengi government is corrupt as shit. I mean, obviously... They may be almost they, they will not I would yeah well of course yeah. but I, but I think that that they don't even view it as corruption. Well yeah they, they it, it, it's corruption is virtue. Yes, you know if it, you're in trouble unless you can pay enough latinum to get out of it. I'm sure if at the beginning if sure I'm sure if 5 minutes into liquidator Brud's visit if uh, Quark had just given him a few bags of latinum the whole thing would have gone away. Right. And it's very you one wonders how much of Ferengi society is actually following the rules and how much is just bribing into that. It's very – again, going – there there well, was a similar situation as on Kronos where you have all of these people who are giving lip service to these certain things and then just doing whatever they want. I mean, again, we are seeing a lot of extreme corruption. I think the difference is, is – I, I, I think it's a little bit of a different situation because I don't – I think it's interesting you keep coming back to this idea of corruption because corruption is a very – it's that's a very human sort of detriment. I yeah, think. I don't think that the Ferengi – they might not even have a word for corruption. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, I think yeah, that yeah, they yeah, think yeah. – that's, that's baked into their society. That's well, baked into their you culture. You have to deposit a strip of latinum to sit down in a chair. You know, you have to – and you can negotiate with the guy who's telling you how much latinum to do. So yes, it's – I mean corruption and cheating people is not is not a problem there. You know, that is one of the primary virtues of their society. And I think that that's what they see. You know, their yeah. goal – a Ferengi's goal appears to be to get enough money for it not to matter. Yes. But – but of course, it is still a problem because no, not everyone well, can be rich, and yeah. not everyone is able to escape the situation. Yeah, and especially we're seeing the again we're we we we're seeing the pro, the cracks in the in the rules of acquisition both on Ferenginar and when Ferengi are in a Federation context, for example. Yes, Quark is very much Quark's. I I think a lot of the questions that we are the fact the fact that we even have questions like what the hell does it mean to cut their wages when they're living rent free on a Federation station kind of highlights how inappropriate in a way his philosophy is for this world and of course which leads to the root beer conversation with Quark feeling that you know Quark knows how inappropriate a lot of his views are here and in a way. Feels he's wrong in some ways, feels the Federation is wrong and crazy about it in other ways, and it's just a very uncomfortable fit. 
But I also think that the episode does establish that there is a very real sense within, you know, the Ferengi and and the the other people that are working for Quark that this is not okay. Oh, yeah. You know, I think that that the Ferengi have internalized this, obviously, and there seems to be a very, very strong cultural taboo against even saying the word union. Well, that – I mean that that very much goes with – Rom's point after Liquidator Brent basically goes and says, well, you know, we'll cancel all your bank accounts, you know, and all of that. Number one, the majority, you know, Lita, that doesn't affect her at all. I, I doubt she has her money in a Ferengi bank. And as Rom is able to point out to the other Ferengi, well, if you had actual, if your account was worth anything, you wouldn't be working here. You know, right. You, you would be, what is he going to take your 20 bucks? Like, just fucking suck it up. You know, this is better than that. And, I, I guess it's again all Ferengi thinks they think they're just not millionaires yet. That's Rom saying we're never going to be millionaires at this weight rate. We are. I mean, one wonders if how much social mobility is in on Ferenginar. We, you know, there has been a lot written about you know the American myth of you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and you know that's the general thing of capitalism. And a lot written about. Well, it's not really true in in these. One, well, one, actually, I mean, social mobility in the United States is much, much lower than it is in a lot of other Western yeah, countries, and, like Denmark, for instance. <laughs> um, I'm not saying that Denmark is perfect, no, but but that, Amer- America has some unique challenges that go back 500 years. But anyway, but in many ways, that it's also one of the bullet points that America advertises itself with, isn't that the you know, America's the land of opportunity and stuff. One wonders if there's a lot of land of opportunity shit on Ferenginar. I would assume that there are, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I certainly think so. And I also, I, you know, I also it's, don't think it's incidental that, you know, the, the, one of my favorite scenes, I think, in all of Star Trek is Rom quoting the Communist Manifesto. <laughs> and I don't think it's incidental. And in fact, I think it's very important that Rom is quoting the Communist Manifesto. Yeah. You know, he's oh, quoting yeah. a human. This is something that is so anathema to the Ferengi society and Ferengi, the Ferengi way of thinking. You know, they, there's not even a concept for this in their society. I mean, it, it, they need to go to outside forces to really get the idea across that they need to join together in a collective bargaining unit to uh, go against Quark and, and, and get better li- working conditions and better wages. I mean, the, he- yeah, the hero that you, you, I love that they're starting to introduce you to. O'Brien has all of these famous ancestors. I hope that becomes a running thing with him. Also, we should give a shout out. Somebody on one of the comments pointed out that O'Brien has said about at least three captains that they're the best captain in the Federation. Oh, yeah, so, that's true, yeah. So now, so now we have this thing of him being just a total suck-up, and I love it. So, um, But he talks about – what is it? Seamus O'Brien. Sean. Sean O'Brien. Let's not be racist, Richard. I I want your sladdy. Don't worry. Oh, God. I'm going to get so many comments. <laughs> I know. Isn't it great? Um, anyway, he talks about this. He had a, you know, a, a union man back in his family, and he yeah. was shot 34 times. And, and it's, but this is the hero that you know Rom takes. He's the one who inspires him. And you know it's funny. It's a little sad that he doesn't have kind of one of his own people. But at the other time, you know, on the other hand, frankly, Rom may be one of those people one day. Well, and I also think, too, I mean, not not to be too didactic about it, but I think that, that it is instructive, you know, for Rom, not only because of that reason, but, but also because I think that Rom sees 
where that sort of thing eventually led. Yeah. It led to the Federation. I mean, you know, there's yeah. a very real implication that, yeah, you know, obviously O'Brien is a, is a good enlisted man and yeah, he's a senior officer now, but you know, he still identifies with the working yeah. class and all this kind of stuff. And he, you know, he's proud of his union heritage and be a union man, you know, <laughs> and that kind of idea is, is almost gone from American society. Oh, yeah. And I think that it's, you know, it's really instructive to talk about how that kind of, you know, working solidarity is still very prevalent in the creative arts. You know, I think that, that for example, um, uh, uh, Armin Shimmerman said he really liked this episode because, you know, he was on sort of the board of, of SAG. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the writer's strike that happened in television oh, yeah. you know, a few years ago, you know, there is still a real... Um, understanding at least within you know the 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 older i would say 20th century um creative arts that unions are very important to guarantee working conditions and to guarantee wages and a living standard i mean you know one of the things that i think is so interesting is this whole idea of um youtube red which is the thing where people can pay ten dollars a month to, to get rid of uh to get rid of ads. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I found very instructive about that was was just kind of a few months ago before it actually launched, kind of seeing things on Twitter or from YouTube creators about this and, you know, just kind of complaining about the fact that YouTube is taking money and they get all the, you know, they do all the work. And, you know, and it's like, hmm, sounds like maybe YouTube creators need a union. Well, you know? I, I, I but, feel and like it sounds, it sounds a little but, ridiculous, but at the same time, so did United Artists. So did SAG. Yeah, so did I mean, I feel things. to a degree that, I mean, I think about stuff like Uber and stuff like that, which is... You know, I, I think that kind of a decentralized thing is trying to get um, – it almost seems like a 18th century factory view of work. I mean let's say every Uber driver today mobilized and It's not even an 18th century factory worker thing because – they're they not were, workers, yeah. Well, they were working in something that was owned by someone else. We're really yeah. talking about a return to some – this is a 21st century form of feudalism. Mm. Yeah. You know, I mean, again, if, every, but if every Uber person mobilized forms a union, Uber will say, okay, fuck you, deactivates their accounts and lets the next you know million people – who want on it now i mean that that's the there is very much this view of labor is just is a commodity that's just endless and it doesn't really matter how you treat any one individual worker because there are so many so you don't really need to pay them right well how is that different from this episode well how is that different from 100 years ago no i know i i guess it's all it's all different forms of the same i mean yeah, it is, We're absolutely. Uber is just the thing that's being touted as the new economy. I mean, that's the new shining light that'll save us all, and it, it seems to have this almost... I mean, the fact that I'm saying this and it sounds obvious seems how obvious its flaws are and how fucking horrible it is. But. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 the idea that, that you know, uh, again, not to get too political, but we're well past that at this point. Uh-uh. You know, there's this great article I read a, a few months ago about the fact that, you know, the, the, the shining light of, of American middle class nowadays is, you know, well, you got to rent a room out in your house to make, make your ends meet. Right? You know, you have to kind of drive your car as a side job. I was chatting with a bus driver who said that he Ubers in his, you know, his spare time because he can't get enough hours driving a bus in fucking portland which is as as you say one of the big transportation city like that's that's fucked yeah yeah it is it is fucked and i think that that this episode is a good example of 
you know, this episode came out of what, 95? I mean, you know, you look at this and you say, or 96, early 96, and you say, okay, it was 20 years ago. And obviously, labor is a much less potent force in American life than it was 20 years ago, especially with all of the sort of court decisions, Supreme Court decisions coming down, um, and especially things like uh, 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 things that happened in Wisconsin a few years ago and the attacks on public sector unions and all mm-hmm. kinds of things. That, you know, I, I think that this episode is really important because it shows that exactly why unions are important. And I think, you know, it's it's funny because, you yeah. know, there's a, there's an episode of Babylon 5 that kind of talks about this as well. Yeah. And, you know, Babylon 5 is a much darker universe than Deep Space Nine and is also a lot more, I don't know, re- realistic, I guess, what, whatever you want to say. But I do appreciate Deep Space Nine's approach to this sort of subject matter because while it it is it is funny because, you know, it's written by two of the people who write a lot of the Ferenki episodes, yeah. Renea Caveria and Iris Stephen Bear, it it is funny because it's about Ferengi, but it also takes their takes their aim seriously. It takes their desire seriously, and it takes their culture seriously. It's funny. I mean, Ram is a funny character, and it's it's him put in a very serious plot, and it's frankly him getting some dignity for himself. I mean that that's yeah. been. I, I think that underlines you know, Ram is no longer a buffoon at this point. He's still a little oh shucks, you know. He's still gonna blush when Lita gives him a kiss and be all like, you know, little cartoon hearts over his ears. But, you know, at, at this, he, you know, he is going to give himself umak too much, but he is also still ca- a character who went whenever. And that's the thing. When we have seen Rom push the, to the wall to fight for something that he loves or that he holds dear, you know, it takes him a while to get to that point. But when you get him, he is fucking scary because he is never going to let up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think at the end of the episode, of course, you see that because yeah. everything is resolved. They get their union. It, you know, the status quo is maintained because but the whole fiction of the union being yeah. dissolved. But, but it's then Ron decides to go away and do something else. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it, it's I think it's funny that they're, you know, it's almost portraying because they're they're still going to be living where they're living. You know, they're just gonna, still going to see each other every single yeah. day. They're just not working together. And it's almost seen as, I mean, as little as Quark wants to admit it, he's a little sad about that, whether it's because, you know, I do think there is a degree to which Quark maybe has some noble intentions towards his brother. He does talk about wanting to protect him. And I think that is there even if it's maybe his you know maybe his 20th motivation and the you know one through 19 are just getting as much profit as he can you know that's the thing they've made about quark even at a sleaziest there is still a tiny tiny grain of something okay in there yes absolutely and i think that you know the other thing maybe to to talk about you know before we end the episode is uh, very briefly, just what happens with Worf, which we intimated about in the Sons of Mo mm. conversation. But I, I do think it's instructive because it does show the ways in which Deep Space Nine is affecting the different characters. And of course, Worf's decision to go live on the Defiant, I think, is almost maybe not directly caused no. by the fight he gets into with O'Brien, <laughs> but but it is it is a a indi- indirect cause. But and, and actually, that's making it very clear the linkage between the two plots because you have both of them going away from their initial situation. But for for Rom, that scene is him finally branching out and being on his own. And 
figuring out a way he can grow as a person and as a professional. And for Worf, it's seen as almost a step back and not a, I mean, Dax makes it very clear that, you know, she's, you know, she's accepting, she's, you know, her giving him the mixtape is making it clear that she understands why he's doing this at this particular time. But she's also make, you know, says, you know, you can't do this forever. And, you know, eventually it's going to get lonely. And, you know, I guess she's, Making him feel welcome, but making it very clear that the door will always be open when he wants to get quarters back at DS9. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It was a very sweet episode, it, which it ended on a very heartwarming note in those both ways, which is not a way I expected it to. So good for it. Good for it. This was a really great week. Good job, Deep Space Nine. <laughs> Richard Goodness approved. Well, if you have any thoughts on either one of the episodes we just talked about, please go to trekaboutshow.com and leave a comment. Go to our Patreon, which I mentioned earlier, patreon.com slash trekaboutshow. You can get uh, some zip files of all the episodes. You can get an episode of Trek About each week, one week early. Oh, my God. And the most important thing, of course, is all of the patron specials that we do once a month. No, the patron specials actually are really good. We're getting some good feedback on them. And uh, the one that's coming out next week is something you're not going to want to miss we're going to talk about the klingons uh-huh. one of my least favorite alien races and one of richard's most favorite alien races so i want to learn klingon for the episode kapla kapla ew so go to patreon.com slash truck about show and give now did you like how i said chet h earlier by the way uh, that was great thank you our social media username where you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter is truck about show and as always, please leave Trek About a positive iTunes review. And also, tomorrow is the end of the new season of Trek About Presents, where we talk about chasing Amy. Wow. And then we'll reveal tomorrow what we're going to do for the next season of Trek About Presents. I'm really excited. All right. That was a lot. What are we doing? Did we talk about what we're doing next week? No, I'm about to talk about it. Oh, my God. Give me a second. Well, I, I, I didn't remember if you did or not. So next week, uh, we are going to be talking about the DS9 episodes, Accession, or Accession, not Accession. I don't know how to talk about things. Accession, and Rules of Engagement. 